0: God is in control. Sometimes it feels like you and God are talking different languages, doesn't it? Where no matter how hard you try, you don't think you're hearing him well and you sure don't think he's hearing you well. Kind of like me growing up with a deaf dad. But over time, you begin to learn his language. And then you discover that his language is actually the language of your heart. It's the language of love. And for the past 11 and a half years, my family and I have been committed to helping students all over Wisconsin and Northern Michigan understand their worth. I've Got an incredible family. I'll show you a picture of my wife here. Marlene and I have been married for 19 years. And absolutely. And she is my favorite person. Like, absolutely my favorite person. She is the strongest woman I've ever met in my entire life. She inspires me, she challenges me, and I could not thank God enough for her. She's just a gift. We've got great kids. I'll show you the next picture. Logan and Camden are just blessings to my family. Logan is 14 years old, and as you can tell by the picture, there's some height there. He's standing in front of a refrigerator, okay? He's five foot nine, and he's 14. And he's got this look in his eye when he stands next to me. He's like, Dad, I'm coming for you. And I just remind him, I have more money. What are you gonna do? And this little ball of joy standing next to her brother, her name is Camden. She is 18. Does anyone have anybody, in, the, in your any kids like that in your life? Let me tell you about my house. The other day, my daughter was being very cute, like impossibly cute. And I said, Camden, sometimes I can't stand how cute you are. And she says, do you wanna know what I can't stand? I had no idea she was setting me up for the takedown. I had no idea. I should have seen it coming, but I didn't. She's like reeling me in. I'm like, what, what can't you stand? And she looks at me with all sincerity and a little bit of sarcasm and says, you're jokes. (laughs) I'm like, that's cute and you're grounded. (laughs) Go to your room for life. But as a family, we're committed to helping students live the best life possible. Right now, There are students in this room, there are students watching online, there are students within minutes of this building who don't understand their worth. And it's showing up and you're watching decisions being made, you're watching uh, choices unfold, you're watching this all play out in real time and the question is how do you help students understand that every student matters? How do you do that? How do you help students connect with the truth that they're not here by accident? And it doesn't matter how their life began they're not here by accident how do you do that so one of the ways that youth alive does that is through school assemblies we provide mental health and motivational school assembly programs to schools all over wisconsin all over northern michigan in fact tomorrow we're leaving out on a four-day tour with my friend terrence tallies the gentleman up on the screen there, and he's the same gentleman who served the DC Everest School District in September and provided a mental health message for their junior high and middle school. And then we gathered in the evening and we shared a gospel message. And during the day, we never share any religious content because we've discovered that mental health messaging is what public schools need. And they're looking for solid messaging And Youth Alive, we've positioned ourselves on purpose to be a great resource for schools. And so tomorrow, we're gonna start off a tour. And we're gonna start off in Baldwin. And then the next day, we're gonna go to Osseo Fairchild. Next day after that, we're gonna go to Abbotsford. And the next day after that, we're going to Hortonville. Four days in a row, we're running as hard and as fast as we can. Why? Because students today need to know there is hope. It was a while ago, We were at a school, and Terrence was sharing his message, don't give up, you can make it, keep going. And we had a a team of musicians with us, and they played a song called You Belong Here, and they co-wrote it with a band called 10th Avenue North. And so Terrence's message was simple, don't give up. And then the band played the song, You Belong Here. Terrence was saying, don't give up you belong here, don't give up, because you belong here, and that message rang true in that program, and in the middle of that program, an eighth grade boy stood to his feet, he sprinted out of the room, he ran down to the counselor's office, and this is not normal, we do not have kids running out of the room everywhere we go. So it grabbed our attention. We found out when he ran down to the counselor's office, he's like, you have to help me. Because he planned for that day to be the last day on earth for him. And I'm being vague on purpose because we're all intelligent enough to understand what I mean. And then because of one student who attended the church in her community because she reached out to her principal and said, can we bring youth alive into our community? We showed up to her community. And because of her activity and her effort, a young man's life was saved that day. Rescued from the edge. Absolutely. We can celebrate that. Literally pulled back from the brink. You can't get much closer than the day of, and we showed up just in time, and I'm so thankful. I want to show you a picture of where we've been since 2010 and how many we've been able to serve since 2010, 220,000 plus students, and then this week, hundreds more are going to hear a simple message of hope during the day in their school. So, Pastor Sheldon, don't take this the wrong way. It's kind of your fault. Because you're leading this church in, in a way that values missions. And you're challenging this group of people to invest into kingdom priorities. So, thank you. And for everybody in this room and everybody watching online, if you've taken any dollar amount, and you've invested into the missions of this church, thank you. Because that number is your fault too. And I mean that in the happiest way possible. Thank you. Because we can't do what we do without your help. And and some of you still are wondering, like, why is it so hard to be a teenager? When I was a teenager, and you begin to fill in the blanks. Well, let um, let me speak to that. Because you are right, we've had world wars before. You are right, we've had pandemics before. You are correct, we've had financial unrest before. And you are right, we've had racial tensions before. We've had all four of those. But have all four of those shown up on our doorstep at once? And was there this? the glowing rectangle. Just by a show of hands, how many of you think the average American checks their smartphone more than 25 times a day? Cool. How many more than 50? How many more than 75? Some of you are like, I'm not putting my hand down until it gets to a million. No. The, it's 90. 90 times a day the average American checks their smartphone. And if you understand what average means, that means some people are way over and some people are way under. But um, I was speaking at a student event several months back and I shared the the 90 number with the students in the room. And there was a kid on the front row. I said 90 times a day and not kidding, Pastor Garrett. He's like lightweight. So I was like, wow, son, you, you have a problem. You need to bring that to the cross. And so. Imagine now, you're 12 years old, and you've got a portal to a world without limits and access to information that you're not ready to handle yet, and there's a strong likelihood that you are given a tablet at an even younger age. Please hear me. Technology's great. I love using technology. I get nervous when technology uses me. And there's a difference. What powers these devices is not simply electricity, but there's something called an app, an application. And that application is driven by something called an algorithm. Which is a computer program designed to achieve a specific outcome. That's all it is. And increasingly, these computer programs are getting so sophisticated, they know you more than you know you. Have you ever been doing the Forever Scroll? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, I don't even know what I'm looking for a puppy, a kitten. Maybe a puppy playing with a kitten. Increasingly, the applications on your smartphones are trying to find ways to keep your eyes locked onto your smartphone. Why? So they can sell your attention to the highest bidder. So now picture yourself at 14 years old. And you're checking a device 90 times a day. And now picture yourself at 17 years old and you're checking a device 90 times a day. The millions of times that dopamine hits have been released in your brain have reached the center of who you are and it has formed an identity. And so again, I'm, I, I love it when I get to use technology. I get nervous when technology uses people. And so that's what's different about being a teenager today. That's why we've got to run as fast as we can to come alongside of incredible young lives with so much purpose, so much potential, so much reason to be here. That's why we've got to run further than we've been already. Now, I know I just waxed eloquent on all the evils of social media, but now I'm going to ask you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram. And for those of you who don't know what Instagram is, it's not a fast-moving grandma. Okay? It's a social media platform. You can find Youth Alive there. But we've got work to do. And after service today, I want to connect with you at the table out in the foyer. You can grab a picture of me and my bride. You can pray for us. If you want us to come to the Wausau area, With the school assembly, grab one of these on my table and give it to the decision maker. And then we've got a gospel resource for everybody to help you better understand the gospel. So thank you for believing in Youth Alive. Now, as I shift gears, I want to ask a question. What happens in your life when you understand God better? What happens in your life when you begin to to believe what he says is truth, because I believe specifically as it relates to pain we're we 're believing things that aren 't true, and sometimes that really sets us up in a bad way, and one of those uh those things that we've heard said before is this. God would never give you more than you could handle. Have you ever heard someone say that to you before? Weren't you tempted to give them more than they could handle? Like, why do we say things like that? And is, is that absolutely true? The answer is, is absolutely not. But I want, to, I want to do a deep dive here, and I want to pause really fast, because this will help you. By the end of our time together, this will help you live a better life, because there is Oftentimes, a gap between the life that you want to live and the life that you have. And what I've discovered is this, is that when you and I embrace the life we have, we can grow into the life that we want. So I believe God wants to meet you and me here in the life that we have. And there are three things that if you take a hold of today and you leave this room with in your heart, you will be setting yourself up to achieve the life that you want. And the first lie that I want to tear down today is the lie that God would never give you more than you could handle. This matters because lies are like carbon monoxide. And truth is oxygen. I'm a volunteer firefighter, which is the most legitimate excuse I have as a full-grown man to ride on fire trucks. Let me be honest. I like parades. Parades are fun. Waving is like my specialty. I am really good at waving. But one night several years ago, I'm sitting at home, and I have a pager that I wear right on my hip here. It's the size of a box of crayons. And there's two little twisty knobs on the top, and there's a speaker on the outside of it. And I was sitting at home, and the pager started chirping and sending out beeps. And then a voice started talking to me, and it was the dispatcher for our county. And she told me that there was a carbon monoxide alarm going off in someone's house in my community. Now, this happens every fall and winter as people start turning on their furnaces, It just happens. And so 90% of these calls, uneventful. Typically, it's the detector itself that needs to be replaced. But carbon monoxide is no joke because it takes the lives of 400 Americans every single year. And so we show up I jump off the truck, I'm in my full gear, got my helmet, got my coat on, got my air bottle on the back, I got my mask hanging from my neck, and I'm walking towards the house. Now I'm in a crew of three, and one of us has this little device, it's called a carbon monoxide detector. It sniffs the air, and it recognizes carbon monoxide. And so the homeowner and their dog were waiting At the edge of the driveway, they were safe. So we walk in thinking, hey, this is just going to be another routine. Call three steps in. That little detector lit up like a Christmas tree. And started vibrating violently in the hand of the firefighter holding it. Telling us that the, the air in the house was so toxic that if we were to stay in that environment, we would die. That's how powerful carbon monoxide is. And the three symptoms of carbon monoxide are pretty unsettling. First, blurry vision. You can't see straight. Second, confusion. You can't think straight. Third, loss of consciousness. You're completely out of control. So that night, we left that house. We put on our air masks, and we breathed oxygen as we walked through that house. We identified the source of the problem. We helped the homeowner fix the problem and make it safe. We pushed all of the carbon monoxide out of the house with fans to clear it out, and we made it safe for them. I wonder what could happen in your life and my life if we would push out the lies from, from from our own hearts and that we would embrace the truth, the oxygen that God's provided for us. I think we'd be able to see more clearly. I think confusion would decrease. And I think we would have a greater sense of agency and control. So here's the first lie God would never give you more than you could handle. Here's what Jesus says about that. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he's talking with his friends, the disciples, and in the previous verses, He's given them all kinds of bad news. Really, really bad news. Have you ever had a day that didn't go your way? Anybody? 11 years ago, I was sitting in a movie with some friends, and I noticed the left side of my face started acting a little funny, but I didn't want to overreact. It was Avatar in 3D for the second time. Now, if you've never seen Avatar, let me help you. There's a movie called Dances with Wolves. 1990, Kevin Costner and outsiders welcomed into an indigenous tribe. He learns their ways. He discovers the lies that he's been told about this people are not true. He falls in love with somebody in the tribe, and then he has to decide between his world and their world. Take that storyline, and now add giant alien Smurfs. You've seen Avatar. You're welcome. You're absolutely welcome. And so I'm watching Avatar, and tears are coming down one side of my face. I'm like, this is strange, but I didn't want to overreact. And so my friends and I, we all get to Culver's afterwards, which is what Jesus would do. You can read about it in the book of Editions. It's right after Second Hesitations. That book is in all of our Bibles, I think. And so I am now trying to enjoy all of the heaven that's found within Culver's. But I'm still crying out of half my face my friends are starting to wonder like, why is Culver such an emotional experience for Dan? I, I had no idea. I get home, I look in the mirror and my face is paralyzed, completely paralyzed. Nothing on this side of my face moved at all. And I look at Marlena and I'm like, look at me. She says, it's not that bad. And I'm like, hold on. <laughs> If half half my face not working is not that bad, how ugly am I? (laughs) Think about that for just a second. Like, what's going on? And so I go to bed that night, and I have to tape my left eye shut because it won't close. I see the doctor the next day, and he says that I have Bell's palsy, which is basically paralysis on one side of your face. He said, take these pills, and in two weeks you'll be just fine. I started popping those like Flintstone chewables. I wanted to get better. Three months later, I was not. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you can't hear anything that they're saying because you're so focused on what's wrong with you? Don't raise your hand on the next question, but have you ever looked in the mirror and been unimpressed with what you see? The emotional pain of that season for me was off the charts. It was one of the most painful seasons of my life because I had to talk to people and I felt hideous. Every time I would be in conversation, I kept on thinking, they're looking at Quasimodo. They're looking at a freak. It was hard. And it would be five months before I would be fully healed. Not fully, I only have like 90% of control back. Which means everybody over here, you're getting all of me. Everybody over here, I'm so sorry. I wish I could give you more. I can't. I want to, but I can't. But I did discover that life is pretty funny and you got to learn to laugh. Because the Wednesday after I was diagnosed with Bell's palsy, uh, I was eating Chinese food, which is also a very wise decision. And I crack open the fortune cookie, and there are two of them in there. Now, I'm not saying God speaks through fortune cookies, so do not pin that on me. And don't send <laughs> emails to Pastor Sheldon. Like I'm just telling you what I read. The first one said this, with my face half working, you will overcome difficult times. And I thought, huh, it's very timely. And the second one, I'm not making this up, (laughs) with my face half working, says be adventurous and try a new look. (laughs) Here goes nothing. But was that more than I could handle? 100%. It was pushed me past my edges. And so that that lie of carbon monoxide that God would never give me more than I could handle. It just, it was worthless to me in that season. And here's what Jesus says about difficulties in life in verse 33 of John chapter 16. He says this, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus hands his friends, and today he hands me and you a sandwich that does not taste good. The first layer, the bread, carbs, I'm also gonna just going to call it, are going to be in heaven. Okay? But if the first layer is this, it's peace. Jesus is like, hey, you can have peace. Top piece of bread. But then he, he gets down to the meat of the issue, the meat of the sandwich that he's handing them. He's like, but there's going to be Problems. He's basically saying, "Uh, buckle up, Betty, and hang on, Hank. It's about to get bumpy. That's what he's telling his friends. And then the bottom layer of that yucky sandwich that Jesus hands you and me today is he's overcome the world. Good news, bad news, good news. And if we want to follow Jesus, we have to take the whole sandwich my eight-year-old is one of the pickiest eaters I've ever met in my entire life. And we're working with her. Hey, you gotta, you gotta eat what we serve for you. And for those of us that want to follow Jesus Christ, it is important that we take all that he gives to us because it's all good for us, even when it's hard for us. So will God give you and I more than we can handle? Absolutely he will. But he'll never give you and me more than he can handle. And that is a liberating truth. When we understand we don't have to be strong, isn't that good? Doesn't that help you to know that you don't have to have all the answers because you know the one who has all the answers? Doesn't that give you peace to know that there's somebody greater than you who's above all of this, who can handle all of this, that gives me joy. Here's the second lie that we believe in America. Time heals all wounds. If that were true, (laughs) you'd never meet a bitter senior citizen. Think about it, you've met him, I've met him. You can see it a mile away. And you're like, and you wanna go up to them, and you're like, are you okay? And they're like, yes, I'm fine. And you're like, would you mind telling your face? When I was in the eighth grade, I was playing basketball, I was trying to impress a girl. It did not go well and um, I got injured. I hurt my back and I herniated a disc and it required surgery. Eighth grade. I woke up in my room after surgery and uh, I was in a lot of pain, but then a nurse walked in and she said the meanest thing to me. Are you ready? Get up. And I'm like, are you crazy? She said, no, you have to get up. And I'm like, mm-mm. She said, you need to move. I was like, I don't want to. So she brought in a friend. And that friend was like, you got to move. Was like, mm-mm. And so, they kind of issued an ultimatum. Like, you either move now or you move later, but you're going to move. Because if you don't move, you're at risk of infection, blood clots, and not healing properly. So... It's like, fine, let's get this over with. So they help me sit up, they help me move my legs off the bed, and they help me stand up. And I'm grabbing that IV pole for stability, and I do the shuffle all around the hospital floor, and then I come back and I lay down. And that was the first step to my healing process. Why did they do that? It's because time doesn't heal all wounds. It's what you do in that time that can heal everything. And that's the difference. we have to cooperate with our healing we have to forgive those who hurt us and let me be clear forgiveness is not giving somebody permission to hurt you again that's not not forgiveness it is very healthy to establish boundaries and to say you can call me whatever you want to call me but you're going to do it from over there Forgiveness is you letting go of your right to hurt them back. You've released them from the debt of being repaid, right? That's forgiveness. And that's the second lie. What you do with time can heal everything. Here's the third and final lie. Everything happens for a reason. Can we put the picture of my family back up real quick? Just my kids. Uh, There's somebody missing from that picture. Her name is Peyton. And she would be 12 this October. You see, after Logan was born, Marlene and I, we suffered two miscarriages. Back to back, boom, boom. Devastating. Devastating. And then God spoke through a stranger to Marlena after the second miscarriage and said, God's going to heal you and you're going to have another baby. And we had another baby, Peyton. And for 13 months, we watched her grow. We watched her become this beautiful little baby girl who started to walk. And then on November 30th, 2011, my wife laid her down for a nap and she never woke up. She passed away in her sleep. And I remember at the funeral, standing three feet away from my daughter and people came from all over to console us, to to comfort us. and, and, And one person said, everything happens for a reason. I literally, I'm standing at my own daughter's funeral and somebody taught tells me that everything happens for a reason. Do you want to know what I heard? I heard God caused this to happen because he's got a reason. He took your daughter. That's what I heard. Now, I don't think they meant that. But when you say everything happens for a reason, you're making a sweeping statement that pushes the blame for everything on God. Thank God that that's not true. Thank God in the book of Romans, we hear different perspective. And in verse 28 of the eighth chapter, this verse is relayed to us. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So will God set this up in a way that just kind of everything happens to reason? No but does he give everything that happens a purpose? Yes. 100%. This past Wednesday was my birthday. March 2nd, every year, pretty great day. In 2018, it was the worst day of my life because I was sitting at home in my lazy boy, thinking about my birthday, and my phone rang. It was my mother-in-law who I genuinely like. She said, "Did you hear the news about your neighbors?" I said, "No." She said, "They just lost their one-year-old daughter." I began to I began to tear up. I began to weep. And over the past several years, my family has been able to do life alongside of their family. We've been able to in solidarity Look at each other, just looking somebody else in the eyes who's been through hell just like you've been through hell. There's a solidarity there, and you find the strength that they have in the moment, and you can draw from them. And then it's vice versa, where they see you're having a good day, but they're having a bad day. They look you in the eyes, and they're like, oh, I can make it. How in the world do we buy a house next to a family who knows our pain better than anybody else in our town? I just think that's God giving everything a purpose. God's not the author of death in your life. And I need to correct the record because some of us in this room believe that God is either trying to control your life or to keep you from life. But the truth is, and we look at the cross to, to, to see this, the truth is God himself would rather die an isolated death than to see you and I die. That's what the cross declares for you and me. It says that we are so valuable to God, that he would rather take the pain than to see us be alone in pain. And so as you think about these truths, I want to encourage you to make room in your heart for them because they're oxygen for your soul. The first truth is that God would never give you more than he could handle. So take that in today. Second truth, what you do with time can heal everything in your life, everything. Everything. You may have scars, but you can heal because our God does miracles. And the third truth is this. God gives everything that happens a purpose. He's going to make it work for you. And it's going to be beautiful in the end, but you got to keep trusting. You got to keep going. Would you let me pray for you? Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness today. I know that you've got people in this room and, every, and those watching online, you've got them on your mind right now. And God, I trust you to be big enough and strong enough to handle every single story in this room. I believe for miracles today. I believe that cancer is healed. I believe that depression is now supported and that a person with that in their lives has the ability to have better days because they know you're with them. And I pray for marriages today, God. I pray that the couple in this room who is wrestling through real pain right now, and even though they're six inches apart, their hearts couldn't be further from each other. God, I pray that you would speak to them today. Pray your grace would fill the space between them. And that forgiveness would flow. And that healing would begin. God, we love you and we thank you for being with us. Even even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God, we don't have to fear evil because you're with us. You're with us. One more thought and then I'll turn it back over to Pastor Sheldon. You can look up at me. If you think about what creates shadows, it's really encouraging. And you may feel like you're in the valley of the shadow of death today. But the only thing a shadow is, it's the outline of an object cast on a surface but that shadow can't exist without light. And so you may feel like there's an object between you and God today. And you may feel like you're sitting in a shadow, but be encouraged because there is a greater light above that. And his name is Jesus. And not only is he above that, he promises to be with you in that. So be encouraged today, church. Thank you so much for the privilege of sharing my journey. Thrive Church, thank you for supporting Youth Alive. I do want to talk to you more after service in the foyer. Thank you again.